0: 17. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 143 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? You alright? Thank you for joining us for another conversation um, about music, about creativity, about, about getting the goddamn work done. Today on the show, I am joined by the enigmatic and very excitable... M. Lamar. That's who you hear back there. So let's, let's listen for a second. Uh, I'm willing to, to bet that you haven't heard something like M. Lamar before, uh, and you're in for a treat, because M. Lamar is truly, 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 truly uh, one of a kind, a very creative individual, and I'm happy that he's here with us today. Today on the show, M. Lamar. Before we get into it, uh, I want to say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year to everyone. Um, this is actually going to be the last podcast of 2017. I'm going to be taking just a couple of weeks off uh, to sort of finish up some, some year-end things and and get ready for the new year. So we'll be back on January 8th. New episodes back January 8th. Thanks for being patient. All right, today on the show, M. Lamar. Um, do you know M. Lamar? I'm guessing some of you do. I first became aware of M. Lamar through uh, my good friend Charlie Looker, who I'm sure many of you know and, and uh, some of you might remember from, from an episode from a couple years ago. The two of them have been working together quite a bit in the last few years. M. Lamar is uh, an artist in every sense of the word. He's originally from Mobile, Alabama. Um, we talk a good bit about the South today. Uh, I'm having a hard time putting together just a few words to describe what Lamar does, uh, simply because it is, I, I'll say it again, it's, it's utterly unique. Um, I've heard him describe his music as Negro Gothic. These are heavy, heavy goth vibes that, that Lamar is working with, uh, filtered very much through the experience of, of African Americans in the South. My first experience, real experience with what Lamar does was at a show at Merkin Hall two years ago. Uh, Charlie and and Lamar shared a night uh, along with Mivo's Quartet, both presenting their work. And I was, I don't think I, I, I don't think I was ready for what Lamar was doing. It hit me really hard. He was doing a piece called Surveillance Punishment and the Black Psyche. Now on a very superficial level, I guess I could say the music and the performance exists existed somewhere between anthony and the johnson's um buto christian death and negro spirituals but that's that's it's so much deeper than that uh and that that's that would be a very cheap and shallow um attempt to describe it as you'll hear today lamar is a heavy cat who uh his his brain seems to operate at about a thousand miles a minute um he is a very analytical person. He channels lots of different influences and lots of different ideas into his work. Um, so much so that I don't think one medium, uh, is able to contain all of it. You know, Lamar stays very busy with visual art. He stays very busy with, with, uh, with video art, with music, with, with writing, with just a whole spread of things. Um, and, and when I saw his piece at Merkin hall, it, Made me feel closer to an American narrative of 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 the black experience in the south um, in a way that other films and books and and pieces of music uh haven 't you know something uh, Lamar and I talk about today is for just a few minutes is the piece of music strange fruit uh, i 'm sure many of you know the piece uh, originally performed by Billy Holiday. Uh, perhaps more famously performed by Nina Simone, uh, it's about lynching in the South. And I, I'll, I'll I'll say this, when I saw Lamar's piece at Merkin Hall, um, the feeling that it left me with is reminiscent of the feeling that I had the first time I heard Strange Fruit. Uh, it's very poignant work that he's doing. And he's funny as shit. Uh, we have a good time today. There's lots, of, there's lots of, of laughing on today's show, despite the fact that we don't really talk about anything too cute or fun. Um, I think that, you know, from, from what I can tell, that's, that, that might be what the general hang with Lamar is like. Uh, and I think we're all going to have a chance to get to know that more, uh, because starting February 2018, Lamar, along with my friend Charlie Looker, are starting their own podcast uh, called Fluid Exchange. Which uh, I haven't heard a single minute of their podcast, but it's the best name for a podcast I've ever heard. Especially if you know these two uh, psychos, Fluid Exchange. Look forward to it. And if you want to find out more about the world of M. Lamar, go to m.lamar.com. There's a lot of stuff to uh, to dip into. There's you know, there's no way I could even begin to describe or do justice to what it is he's up to in just a couple of minutes at the start of my show. Um, check him out. The music is powerful. Intense music. Check them out, mlamar.com. And look forward to their podcast, Fluid Exchange. And that's it. Uh, I hope you guys all had, you know, we all had a pretty shitty year, I think, uh, globally speaking. But I hope you guys are hanging in. And I appreciate all the support this last year. I appreciate, you know, anyone who's written an email to me, everyone who's signed up for the Patreon, uh, anyone who has just come up to me and said, hey, man, I like your show. Thanks for doing it. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you all. You know, this last year has definitely been very challenging. I don't know that 2018 is going to be any less challenging. Um, but, you know, let's do what we can. Let's be excellent to each other. Let's make a little music. Uh, let's try to actually get in touch with friends, you know. I, I, I know for myself, pulling back from 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 the iPhone, from the social media, from, from just constantly being wrapped up in a news cycle has is, is been good for my health. So let's let's all try to do that a little bit you know disengage from the digital life and maybe you know dip back into the the analog life a little bit is that good advice I don't know hope you guys are okay um happy new year and uh here's my conversation with M Lamar
1: life sentenced to death and no und Some wait, but these
0: middle school teachers, someone. women who fuck their male students, are like always
1: not so bad looking,
0: you know? They're always kind of good looking. I and, oh. and I saw, I read this story about this woman who she, I mean, she lost her whole career, like, she, she got fired, she went to
1: prison because yeah, she yeah, fucked yeah. this 14 year old. And she was how old? Like t- 30. Okay Oldest 30 right Yeah I mean I was When I was 14 I was trying to have sex with people Maybe not quite as old as 30 But 28 I mean 22 20, I mean, In their 20s uh-huh. you know, yeah, I was would've. trying really hard And I was very successful In many cases In fucking um, 20 year olds? 20 27 28 was the, the oldest At I age think. 14 14 15 16 yeah Men or women? Um. Mm, <laughs> I mean, Wait I think it was just men I think the only women I was having sex with At that point Were my age And I right. was having sex With people my own age yeah, too Yeah 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 I was having sex Pretty compulsively Pretty early age Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, And I was trying Really hard to So um,
0: So Wait but, but Just back to this one thing So yes. you're looking at and this woman's like Wow this woman's not bad looking And mm-hmm. they always like Kind of hide the kid's identity mm-hmm.
1: They don't say his Sure name his Most 14 year old <laughs> boys I think Are also trying to have sex with As many people As, right. as humanly possible but, I certainly was yeah. But the
0: thing is
1: uh, another woman in the school Another mm-hmm. teacher About 30 years old mm-hmm. Also got fired Yes
0: For fucking the same kid
1: So I'm trying Were to they get... targeting Was it some kind of tar- Were they talking with each other The teachers And this guy's a, a target Or was he Just like A mac daddy of sorts That's what, it's what I'm like, saying is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's
0: gotta be just like An Adonis right I mean If grown women are willing To throw their fucking careers away Go to jail to fuck a 14 year old mm, mm, mm. I don't know
1: Wait where did you Where did you grow up you're from I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. Oh. Mobile, Alabama. It's very um it's forty-five minutes away from Pensacola, Florida. I've been, I've been to Mobile. Um and I mean Pensacola I feel like well actually Trump did uh, a lot of uh, rallies in Mobile um, during, when There's a lot of up, races there During his campaign um, <laughs> There are a lot of races all over this country That's true um, Not just in the South And then that, in the South is uniquely um, I mean Alabama especially with this Roy Moore thing I don't know when is this going to air I mean I feel like I don't want to talk about Two too, weeks Too topical a thing No no um, but I mean, right Alabama now. certainly in the uh, consciousness uh, right now Yeah I mean but for me it always is But I mean this Roy Moore thing is really And he's probably going to win Like the the latest polls are like they're tied It's like, it's like yeah it's, it's not that I mean it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't win and i wouldn't be surprised if he did that's the sad truth are your parents still down there my mother my mother is there and yes. you go down to visit no i left <laughs> um i left when i was 17 yeah and i've never been back you've never set foot in the state of alabama again. no 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 i was in alabama once on a tour uh-huh. uh this was in maybe 2009 i think i was on like this tour i mean it was all of we were touring all over the country and i was in a van with like it was sort of like a weird tour and so we went to huntsville uh uh-huh. Um for like the space museum <laughs> No, no no we played a show yeah. i can 't remember the place we played in Huntsville, and as soon as we crossed the the state lines into alabama i I had lots of anxiety and I think it was the, the anxiety I had as a child was that I would be trapped there and I would never be able to escape and so I think that when I went back, it was about this this thing of like being it, sort of not being able to escape ever but i 've never been back to my hometown uh, since really? i left i 've not returned I mean maybe I will at some point i mean like I think so much of my work seems to sort of like be about. You know, sort of like like my cultural memory of my childhood, my family. You know, not all of it, but a lot of it's sort of about my family in the past. And so it seems like it might be, at some point, useful to do that. But I mean, sure. there's so many places in the world to go. Yeah, when one you know has a has money for a plane ticket, might one might want to go to Prague or yeah, to yeah. you know Czechoslovakia or, or wherever. I don't know China. You know, the world's a really big place, and so I mean, to kind of keep going back to Mobile just seems like I mean, I I, I lived in the south for a while as a teenager. Would you? I- you Live. I
0: hated it, and I uh, set foot in the South as little as possible. Where
1: did you live? No, so I love New Orleans. I, w- I would. I, I've never been to New Orleans. I'm. I'm trying to go back to New Orleans. You know, as soon as possible. New Orleans is great, and I was. I've been to New Orleans in the last five years. I think I was. In, I mean, I, I again. I'm, I us- I usually travel when I'm working. Um, like I'm going to Vienna in a, in a few weeks to play a show. I was. I was, yeah. imp- I, was in pro- I mean, so normally I don't just travel to travel, and I don't do family things. Yeah, right, right, right. And so, um, but I am looking forward to going to New Orleans. Just maybe to ho- I don't know. I mean, I'm probably going to play a show cuz that's just what I do when I go anywhere. Um, but yeah, New Orleans is amazing. Like it's I mean, it's dangerous. It's a real place. It's a real place. Yeah. It's like culturally really exciting, musically really exciting. Yeah, it's an amazing place. So, um, I don't like hate the south as a as a rule. I just <laughs> really had no reason to go back necessarily. I mean, yeah. I've also played shows in Austin, like on that same tour I went to Austin, Atlanta, in uh, Virginia, you know, yeah. like I, and I've been to Virginia, like, quite a bit, actually, like, I play, I was in Virginia, like, last year playing at, um, at this place called, where was I playing in Virginia, like, was it in 2016 or 2017, and it's some, I can't remember what it's called, anyway, I play all the time, I mean, you know, um, I kind of will go anywhere that I'm, you know, invited to play. That's how I make a living. Of course. So, you know, if they're they're paying me, (laughs) I go and I play. Um, But I've not, no one's offered me, you know, any kind of money to go back to Mobile um, or gig. I mean, was it just you and your sister growing? Or were there more siblings? Um, I have a sister. Yeah. So just the two of you twins. Yes. Um, I have a sibling and we grew up, yeah. Yeah. Just the two of us, yeah, and my my mother, yeah, and my mother. Uh, My mother's a teacher. She um, was an English teacher. She's retired now. Yeah, but was an English teacher. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, the one of the things I hated about being in the South. And uh, where
1: were you in the South?
0: I lived in a very small town in North Georgia, um, like walking distance to North Carolina. Okay, okay. Um, Incredibly ignorant. You ever see the movie Deliverance? I have, of course, of course. It's like that's where Mm -hmm. they filmed it. It was like this little area right here. Um and it was a tough place to be a creative person, to be someone
1: who was interested I mean, in I see my my experience of the South is not like the thing that I mean, everyone sort of like has this sort of shit talking thing about the South. <laughs> and I really I don't that's not my experience, honestly. I mean I yeah I I mean my childhood was difficult not because of like being I mean I being in a in a place that's sort of, like, culturally backwards. It was mostly, I think my mother had a lot of unresolved, like, trauma. And I think that my childhood was traumatic because of that reason. Was she um, also from, is she also from Alabama? Oh, really? my God, yeah, yeah. yeah she yeah. Uh, Generations, yeah, generations yeah. of people from Alabama, her people, my people, our people, you know, right. us. So, I mean, I think it was mostly about that. I mean, she was born in the 50s uh, and just sort of endured, you know, lots of stuff. Civil rights movement. Around that. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So, uh, I think that my childhood was about... It was mostly, I think, the, the it was unpleasant, but it was mostly unpleasant because of, um, her, you know, intergenerational, what I call intergenerational PTSD. I, okay. It's not my, I mean, other people talk Are about we, that. that sort we of talk thing. quite a lot about um, that, that sort of thing. Uh, so I mean, that, I think that my childhood it was unpleasant for that reason. I, I did imagine that there were. Places that were more culturally sophisticated. Uh huh. Um I mean I, I sort of always imagined that I would be around like weirdo artist types and that's kind of what I was looking for. So I, I went to San Francisco um to college and at the San Francisco Art Institute. I left when I was seventeen to do that and um and San Francisco I did find weirdo I mean in, in goth, but even when I was in when I was still in Alabama I was sort of like hanging out in sort of goth punk metal scenes. Um and I found a lot more of that. Did you Al- find your way in, in, to the goth
0: scene in San Francisco pretty quickly?
1: I did. I did. Um When were you there? Um, I moved here like eleven years ago. Uh So, um, yeah, I went to college there, and then, then I went to. So, yeah, I went to college in San Francisco. Then I, um, went to college in New Haven, Connecticut, for a year. Or yeah, uh, um, Yale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I dropped out of. Uh Yale <laughs> graduate school I was in the school of art for a year and then I moved back to San Francisco and I started a bunch of bands I was, so, I, so I went to art school at San Francisco Art Institute and, and I was sort of, but I was always doing music sort of on the side so I was like getting you like doing a visual painting. art yeah, I was, yeah I, was, I was sort of doing painting and sculpture and installations and video and shit like that And but I was also like taking like voice lessons and composition and, but this is not none of this is Offered at the art institute, I was doing this sort of like off campus, like on the side. Uh-huh. Like actually, one of the, I was singing all the time. The first st- like, and I had this, one of the models there. Like I, I like everyone just knew that I, I sang, you know, because I you just you can't miss it because it was loud and operatic. Right. And, right, so. right, and um, one of the models in my drawing class, like um, like she just started like singing. She was like in a pose for a long time, and all of a sudden she let out like, this gorgeous like operatic sound. And then we started talking, and um, and she's like this soprano who studied in... Anyway, so I started actually taking lessons with her for like a long... time. Like this is my freshman year and then I started taking lessons in, in the city at this place called Community Music Center in San Francisco. Anyway, um, so yeah, I was doing this and then I had private teachers but this is all... But I'm doing like an art degree at the same time and so it was just this thing I was doing for myself but then I was going to be an artist or something mm-hmm. and um, and then I ended up in graduate school and then I was like, oh, fuck this, this is so stupid. <laughs> um, Like I just sort of like... What I mean, it's sort of like when you're in New Haven at at Yale, you're sort of like going to be funneled into the New York art world, and the New York art world was just not interesting to me. Yeah, Um, where the performance world seemed to be much more interesting, like the New York performance world and just performing in general. And so I just bailed after a year, and then moved back to San Francisco and studied like a lot more intensely, uh, singing and composition and piano, and started a band. Yeah, yeah, privately. And, but then, sorry, bands. Oh no, I was actually I was also at City College, so I was I was doing community music center, and then community music center in San Francisco. That's like in the Mission. And then I was also at City College in San Francisco. Like I was in choir, like I was in gospel choir. So you were really taking the singing seriously. Yeah, yeah, I no, was singing, progress. composition, and piano and stuff. Yeah, I, I got really like intense about it. But then I also started these two bands. Um, what were the bands? Um, well, I don't want to say the names of them because people. I don't want people like you know they'll they could probably find them. And, okay. You know, it's like a. I I mean. I sort of feel like they're like high school. I mean, they weren't quite my high school bands, but it's like that, you know what I sure, mean? Like it's sure, like Looking a, at an old yearbook or something. Yeah, you know, people don't need to like, you know, uh, <laughs> investigate that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, but it was great because I, I wrote zillions of songs, and then some of the songs survived, like my first solo record that I put in like 2010 um, called Souls on Lockdown. Like a few of the songs were like songs from those bands, like you know, because I was writing the music and the and the text primarily. I mean, it's, right. my keyboard player he wrote some of the music, but um, this is 2010 you're talking about. 2010, I released a record in New York. I was already in New York at that point. Um, Yeah, so this is all like all the band stuff was like you know pre. I moved here in 2006. I mean, the Um, music that
0: I I went to the show that you did with Charlie at
1: Symphony Space, Merkin Hall, Merkin Hall, right? Which is like sort of the Symphony Space. It's all like in the same complex basically. Yeah, Merkin Hall at yeah, I think yeah, Symphony. I think it's sort of the same thing. I think it's the same thing. Yeah, it's all sort of Merkin Hall was the specific hall we were in. Yeah, so right. um, And the I mean. And well, that was with Miva's Quartet. Shout out to me. So, so Charlie opened the night and um, and played with Mivos Quartet, and then I also did a, a cassette, like about a forty forty five minute uh, set with Miva's Quartet as well. So. I mean, that set fucked me up. That set really fucked me up. Like I uh, in a good way. Yes, and no. Or in a in a okay.
0: I mean, that's a good. That's that. That is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a good way, yes, because it's good to get fucked up. But like, yeah, I felt pretty shattered at the end of that concert. Um,
1: and a lot of talk to me about that. I don't. I don't. I don't get to get this kind of feedback. So to, to, I mean, I people stood up and everything, and that was a very right. lovely at the end. But I don't. I didn't well, talk to people I mean, about it. You know,
0: any. You know, you're talking about the generational PTSD, which yes. is something I've done yes. a lot of. Um, Are you Jewish? Yeah. And I'm, you know, first yeah, generation born in this country. Uh,
1: enough said. Yeah. I mean, but I've, I've
0: talked. Grandparents. Yeah, them, yeah. Everyone got, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. Dealt yeah, yeah, with. yeah your <laughs> situation's a, it's a fucked up. Right. I mean, I, whenever there's like people who've dealt with like a lot of white people and people of color who, you know, just who've been occupied, who've been, you uh-huh. know, I, I, there's a kinship. Well, um, there's something, the, the like,
0: PTD itself, and I was talking about this with a uh, black friend of mine the other day, is especially when you're. A oh, kid. I'm black, by the way. This is a podcast. <laughs> um,
1: people don't, aren't going to know that they got to name's Google, Lamar it, I mean they'll probably get it i guess the, i guess the probably <laughs> there're not a lot of white people named lamar no. there yeah i guess that's true no but, um, but yeah. there's
0: like so when you're a kid and you're dealing with like you have feelings you have fears you have anxieties you have uh angers you have all these fucking things and sure. a yeah. lot of it might be due directly to this generational PTSD and you do generational yeah and you don't e- you're not even aware oh i had no um, idea yeah i had the no cause idea yeah yeah or, no, of course so when i saw your show uh like i f- it It spoke to me very quickly i and i the like when I went to Auschwitz for the first time oh, I've God. been a couple times <laughs>
1: there you go um like
0: the um. the the sort of like the feeling uh, of being confronted with it mm-hmm. um more uh more directly mm-hmm. than just reading about it yeah. um it felt very similar to the show like I felt very uh, uh more than just what I was hearing more than just what I was seeing mm-hmm. the the stuff that you presented, the tone of your voice. Um, The delivery, I mean, obviously the lyrical content, Mm -hmm. uh, I felt like someone punched me in the chest. Wow. Well,
1: thank you. (laughs) That's my goal. That's That's what we want. (laughs) I know it sounds like a fucked up goal. But I mean, that is, um, I mean, when... There was nothing cute about it, not for a second. No, 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 no. I mean, well, there are people who are are sent to entertain and, and do pleasant, sort of lovely... Music and that's not what I'm here to do. That's not right. like my vocation. That's not my calling. Uh, it's to kind of go into other places and deal with, to deal with other things. But I mean, uh, I
0: feel like for people like us, the people that you know, you and I have in common mm-hmm. that we know, it's like we're all yeah. taking it very seriously. Like that that show took it to, to, to another level. Of I guess what I'm trying to say is one, as a listener mm-hmm. and as someone who also you know makes music, sure. um, yeah. I'm always looking for, for the experience of like, what the, like I, I did, this is something completely new to me that mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sort of left without context and then I have to search for it. Yeah.
1: So there was that happening. Um, I don't know. That's that. Yeah. Uh, I mean the piece that I, that was performed that you can get it on iTunes now, it's called <laughs> surveillance punishment in the black psyche. Um, yeah, I'm really proud of that piece. It makes me want to perform it again. Actually, we haven't done uh, because I since because I, I I was performing that piece a lot. I don't know for a few years, like two or three years, maybe doing that. Just piece. Just you at the piano, just me at the piano, and then my um my projectionist, who's also my boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, who did a lot the particular piece performance you saw. He did a lot of the sort of animated visual stuff that yeah. you saw, um, and then but after that piece, I saw, I was doing this other piece that also is available on iTunes now, so <laughs> called Funeral Doom Spiritual, uh, and so. Yeah, and so I kind of have been doing that piece for the last, like, few years. And then, anyway, I've been doing a lot. There's other stuff I've been performing in. Twenty, I, I guess I did a performance of Funeral Doom Spiritual in Baltimore this year, and then I did did maybe one in Glasgow in April. But then I've been doing these other pieces. There's American Cuck is this thing I've been um, American Cuck. workshopping, uh, C-U-C-K. Um, and then I've been doing this piece with Living Earth Show called, do you know Living Earth Show? Uh-huh. They're like a classical music ensemble in San Francisco a percussionist and a guitarist and that piece is called Lordship and Bondage Birth of the Negro Superman. We've also been doing workshop performances of that and um yeah. So um it's been an interesting time like but it makes me want to do Surveillance uh, Punishment in the Black Psyche again. I love that piece. Uh it's like very um I mean the the work that I've been doing The newer pieces, like, like so surveillance and everything that sort of came before that was really sort of based in historical stuff, like, Uh like, happening, like, surveillance happens, sort of starts in 1947, then we jump to 1847, and then we end up back in 1947. What's 1947? 1947, um, was, so the piece is sort of loosely based on the story of Willie Francis, uh, and Willie Francis was this 16, uh, slash 17-year-old boy who was executed twice in 1947 in this prison in St. Martinsville, Louisiana, right? Executed twice? Executed twice. So, um... The electric chair that was installed to kill him was installed incorrectly, and so he got all these volts of electricity, but it didn 't kill him and so he was screaming underneath this black hood, "Get me out of here, get me out of here uh, and so there was this sort of like debate that went to the Supreme Court about like whether it 's constitutional in terms of cruel and unusual punishment to try and kill him again, of course they figured out that of course they could sure. Um, sure. and so then a year later they, they make sure they got it right and killed him again but for me the thing that but that my show doesn't really sort of deal with that part of the story which is you know interesting in and of itself it deals with the fact that he was um alleged to be in a sexual relationship with the man, the 53-year-old white man that he killed. And so the story, the show's trying to sort of like explore this interracial sort of homosex thing mm-hmm. in 1947, but then also sort of tracing it back to a plantational context, um, if you remember that stuff. That's prim- my primary... Uh, memory of the it. plantational sort of thing, yeah. uh, and then sort of desire and how it sort of plays itself out, you know, in a, in a racial desire in the US and how it's sort of coded in a plantational. Yeah, there's just no way around it, unfortunately. We just, we'd like to, I think, get away from it. Um, I think particularly black people would like to get away from to it, but the conversation just, around slavery. No, the conversation around the ways in which um, legacies of the plantation in terms of interracial dynamics are just with us. Like, there's no way around it. Uh Um, Like, it's just like, I think it's just something you have to deal with. I mean, you have to just deal with the fact that it's always there. Um, Right. Like, the psychological and emotional dimension of what the plantation meant in terms of what those dynamics are about are just a part of our culture it's it's what it's i think so much of what the anxiety uh, is on the right with Breitbart.com and all this sort of like this this kind of new white supremacy the, the calling itself you know uh, white nationalism but mm-hmm. it's just it's it's just old school white supremacy but i mean the the, the rebranding is about the kind of anxiety um, about those positions like shifting right that 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 i think obama um, Sort of symbolically represented a, a real um, uh, rupture in the way that people w- were kind of like um, thinking about plantational relationships, right? I mean, like in what the U.S. represents in that way. I mean, I think that that, um, that yeah, Obama was just really disruptive to that, and so I think that people just, I think, I think white people unconsciously um, kind of. Ha- we're having a loss of uh, of a- of a- of identity an identity crisis do you crisis? think
0: a lot of the like the bitterly racist attitudes and rhetoric towards obama like i i've wondered this before like how much of it and who can say um who can say was you know s- just because he was a- the first black president mm-hmm. and i also wonder how much of it was because he's not just the first black president his father was a black man
1: and his mother was a white woman and how much that potentially even further enraged Certain. Well, I mean, I think that the the so much of the logic of white supremacy is to keep the bloodline pure, sure. Uh, right, and so that that the symbolic nature of the fact that he is not a pure. I mean, that that confusion, I think, is disruptive to people. For whatever reason, I mean, for, you know, for whatever you know, they 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 want to know who's black and who's white. I mean, you know, um, and I mean, it's just that's just sort of a fallacy. We're all kind of got some. I mean, particularly in this U.S. context, we're yeah, all yeah, mixed yeah. up with some. I mean, my my great great grandmother was pure Cherokee Indian. You know? You've been so able like, to you, you have you know how like your your family line with not at all I just know I mean my my mother just know knew her grandmother uh and her grandmother was Cherokee Indian I yeah mean, but I don't I don't know where I'm from in Africa I haven't done that genealogy thing it's expensive uh, <laughs> to do that genealogy test but I, I mean typically we understand that most uh African-Americans are were taken from West Africa right I mean and you can actually if you study West African culture you can see a lot of sort of things retained from West African culture in the sort of African-American I mean you, you know you there are ways to trace that kind of stuff, and that you can just read books for free, you know, sure, about that sure, sort of sure, thing. Sure. But like, actually, literally tracing that my ancestors are from this tribe and this, you know, I haven't been able to do that. But, but um, even
0: like, you know, uh, you know, within the United States and going back to like, you know, the, the, uh, the plantation, mm-hmm. I feel like even
1: going back to that point, there's a lot of hidden um, lineage. Well, my, well, because so much there was so much rape um, yeah. that was sort of a part of the plantation, right? So that there's so much like you know race mixing there and then native americans and um, blacks were often like you know Falling in love and having children, and so there's that between Native Americans falling in love and having children, and all the white rape, and then the consent. What must have been some consensual stuff sure. happening yeah, uh, yeah. on plantations? Although it's always it's difficult to say what's consensual or not. I mean, my I the mean, premise how- of my show was that it was consensual, but I mean, if you're a slave, if you're I mean, a slave. Nothing's like, consensual. Nothing's really consensual. Right. So, um, but there's this. But I I wanted to explore the idea that there was some possibility that this um black boy was finding uh the 16 year old black boy was finding in a relationship with this older white man there was something some way he was finding himself some um, sense of freedom something yeah he was finding something that that he wasn't finding in in you know a black context that's interesting yeah um i just i think that um i just think that that whatever that history is. It's like... It, I mean, I've done deep, deep research like on, in the realm of desire. uh uh-huh. A um, lot of like field work. In, like, field the, work. The, the yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the deeply and profoundly pornographics. American Cock, that new show, is sort of about... Um, there's a, a lot about racialized fetish and the way. I mean, you know, cuckolding, right? I mean, yeah, it, and you know the fascination but that the bridebar dot com world has
0: with it. But with cu- with those fucking assholes talking about it, it's specifically black men, right?
1: I mean, well, I think that what cuckolding is in in the modern context is specifically black men, right? right. If you just separate from brightbar.com dot com, if you just go to Pornhub and do extensive research, it's not just <laughs> any white. No, seriously, no, I, mean, I, know, can, I know you can do hours and hours and hours and hours. I've and hours, done a lot of research, thousands and thousands yeah. of hours of research on Pornhub, <laughs> and um. And you find, i mean, it's—it's it's generally, you know, it's not just any dude. that see, I grew up—I you know, remember—it's usually a, a black dude.
0: I still remember the first time I heard the word cuckold or read it somewhere when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and I looked it up, and it, it was just—you know—a man who—a man is turned into a cuckold when his wife cheats on him. Exactly. Um, and
1: with any man, technically.
0: right? Right. So, I, and I didn't even—I didn't know that this—it was when this alt-right shit first started mm-hmm. coming up, or I first became aware of it two or three sure. years ago.
1: Milo and, and all those yeah people, that you know. and, and Milo was, you know just married a, a black dude too that doesn't um, surprise me it doesn't surprise me either yeah. but even that's like racist somehow yeah you know absolutely absolutely <laughs> his, his his particular fetish for black men is absolutely you know, rooted in white supremacy completely um, completely I, mean, so a I think black man. that. Um, well, no, having a black man dominate him, the fantasy is usually that the the black man uh, or black woman is sexually dom- – because we've been in, in the white supremacist imagination painted as overly sexual, uh-huh. overly more body than mind, right? And that we are going to dominate right. the white man and the white woman. Unless um. they're shackled unless no. the black person checking yeah. that's not usually the scenario the scenario no. usually uh, from my extensive research um, <laughs> the fantasy in, in the white supremacist mind is that the black man is more manly more masculine right, right. more I mean the, he's got a bigger penis he can please my, my girlfriend or my wife in a way that I can't right. and I have to be just subjected to, the, to watching this you know his superior nature in like fucking you know basically my wife and being the alpha male yeah, um, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of this stuff stuff is based in alpha male fantasy Mm -hmm. stuff all this stuff um and so it's not about dominating black men at all it's about it's the fantasy it's the plantational fantasy of black men dominating white men white men white men and and white women yeah yeah um in the pornographic imagination yeah it's it's that's the thing um so the alt-right taking this
0: term cuckold and sort of Defining Redefining it In a very clear
1: way Yeah Speaks to A cuck-servative Or something But it's, it's right. like Oh you are less than a man You are not the alpha male You've been made into a cuck Um Because you support Immigration Or you right. You know Whatever Right um, Right Right that sort of thing, and so I, and that's specifically racial. It, it's just, it just is. I mean, like Milo can claim that it's not specifically racialized and say that he's an expert on black cock because he has had so much of it. Right. But it's just, it's just a lie. I mean, like, like it, the, what, how it plays itself out, in there, and you know. It, Clearly, they have deeply... I mean, who was so I mean, who's so invested in cuckolding but the right-wing people? I mean, I, I, I wasn't up on it either right. until it became like it became this like, thing yeah. in BrightBread.com. And actually, it was the, the um, biggest spike in 2016 on Pornhub. The, what, we, what we love about Pornhub is they release statistics about what people they are watching. Do. Yeah, and, and they do it by state. And they do it by state, and they do it by year. So mm-hmm. in different years, certain things surge. And last year, 2016, it was cuckolding. is um, that, was, had that the crazy, surge. how yeah. much truth... Pornhub offers us? I mean the thing about like if you want to I me mean, for artists I think um because we are we don't deal with policy we don't deal with um you know passing laws or anything we deal with like the interior landscapes of, of, of people emotionally psychologically um, pornography is a great way to kind of gauge that uh, in terms of what kinds of fantasies people are having what they're imagining and then what and trying to sort of analyze what those fantasies mean and mm-hmm. about w- what human nature culture I mean what what is what's going on you know mm-hmm. with people I mean for me I, it, it's kind of ground zero for like all of all of my work really trying to understand um, the psychology particularly white supremacy and, and white supremacy is relationship to like black beings um yeah like i porn is kind of like how it reduces it down to pretty i mean it's pretty it, it it's depressing mm-hmm. um like it's deeply depressing because it's it's not um <laughs> you know there's nothing progressive in in, in any of it in you porn know? um no no uh, not at all. Right. Uh, in terms of subjecthood, I mean the fantasy. I mean because even the 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 man you know who's who's dominated by women. I mean uh, this is all kind of male fantasy. So so white men being dominated by women, whether they're white or black or whatever. Uh-huh. You know we're still patriarchy still in place. Uh, white men being dominated by black men. Uh-huh. Pa- patriarchy white supremacy still in place. Nothing's been disrupted in that fantasy because that's sort of a par- all a part of the, the plantational dynamic. I mean if you look at Mandingo, Mandingo. That, that film you mm-hmm. know from 1975, that's the black buck, who is like you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he, the black buck ends up being killed at the end of the film. Uh, if we, um, we want to remember that, but um, which is also the way the world works too. Um, it's not none of it's good um, <laughs> no, for it's for not. any of us. I mean, it, there's no there's no hope really in any in any of it. Um, no, really. I mean, but but so so the piece that you're working on, American
0: Cuck, American Cuck, Cuck it's in process. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what'd you think about this for a second? <laughs> uh
1: can you tell me about the piece I mean I just have been yeah (laughs) Um, I mean I'm trying to explore I mean so I so this piece actually I'm using like I'm kind of ripping myself off in a a way because I'm actually going back to the surveillance piece a little bit Uh and looking at that kind of plantational dynamic because what what, what's happened I mean I've been in New York for like 10 years and and there's this book coming out called Negro Gothic about my work and so there are essays about my work and librettos from past pieces and and, and I'm working on this film that's also kind of an amalgamation of my work so far uh huh Um, um, and the film right now is called Deathlessness, and it's a it's about an hour, maybe seventy five minutes long, the film. And so what's happening right now is that, that I'm at this sort of turning point with my work where um, it's going in really different directions. And so I I th- I mean I've made kind of I would I, I mean I think there are people who are more prolific than I am, but I you know I think I've made you know in the last yeah. ten years I've been here I've released like I don't know six or so five or six albums and done like countless yeah. performances. You no, know, I know I put some shit out. A fair amount of work, and so what's happening now is that I think that it, I, I'm, um, I'm kind of like it's I, I, a lot. Of, I I feel like part of my past work is like sort of a material for these new kind of iterations or these new kinds of thoughts, and so mm-hmm. a lot of American Cuck is like I'm I, I, there's new compositions and new writing in it, but there's, I'm also using a lot of the old work to kind of like, um comment on this on this kind of new phenomena. so that's a, a part of so that's one part of what, what's going on my work now and then the Living Earth show stuff is about like just sort of sound and like not, but, not necessarily even pl- singing words but singing you know sort of making sounds right. and you know I mean as you move words. forward do you
0: feel the need it sounds like you're kind of like looking at the stuff that you've already done and yeah. sort of like putting it together so you can move forward to the next thing
1: that, that's a lot of what's going i mean the film is the film and the book and and the two albums funeral doom spiritual i, I released in january and surveillance the album i released in january and and um and the film and the book they are sort of all about kind of finishing up a certain like i think the the, the sort of first leg of what my work is mm-hmm. and um and then american cuck and lordship and bondage and then i'm doing this organ album um you're the recording work, something at the organ um uh, P- Pipe organ Record, yeah. Where you were? Um, gonna... Oh, I can't say because okay. the, the Catholic Church is it's not. They... Um <laughs> they're um they're, they might not be so down. They're well. They they're fine with with me recording there because we're paying them. Yeah. Um. This is like awesome label that's putting it out, but they they like we don't want our names associated with it. When I, when he went because I played a show. I, I people are gonna fi- probably really figure it out because I played a show in this church. Uh-huh. uh Recently. And um. And so then the guy who's releasing the record like when he approached them and because we were just we're just kind of rehearsing on the organ now and he said oh you mean the Satanic Screamer. <laughs> 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 refer to me, which I loved I thought this is awesome I wanted like this is like a press quote like Catholic priest you mean they satanic screamer I think that's a great pull quote for me um, but you know anyway but they, they're fine with you know, taking the money and, um, yeah. But they're, they're not so fine with having, it, which is fine. I mean, we just want the sound. We're most interested in right, right, the right, way right. the organ sounds in that church and the acoustics of the church are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's like, in that record, also, is was like much, much more about like sort of these long, sort of almost soundscape kinds of things, me making sounds that aren't necessarily about me singing text or like. Are you going to be doing vocals on that as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the the pipe, the pipe organ is going to be the primary sort of instrument on, on the record, but yeah, I know I'm singing on the record for sure. Um, uh huh. This singing is is pretty central to what I'm doing. And the other the other sort of like in terms of like concluding my work is that I'm 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 um I had this project where called the lynching suite which is like a, a collection of all the <laughs> but a collection of all my lynching songs and then and then some new lynching songs that would, that would be performed with ultimately with orchestra but with starting with small string ensembles and having other singers sing it. Um because I think the ultimately the the goal for me Uh, as a kind of composer is that it's not it's never been about it's been about me in terms of like actualizing my particular point of view and my perspective but it's never just been about me singing this stuff uh it's been about other black singers yeah black singers singing this music so um yeah so that's kind of this ongoing thing we applied for funding that we didn't get so we're kind of back to the drawing board because it's going to be expensive you know to do the piece but um but But, that's like an ongoing thing this music has been performed live the um a lot of lynching stuff, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, the thing is, I've been kind of doing lynching songs sort of all you know for years. You uh-huh. know, they've been kind of in different pieces. Like at the end of um of the piece you saw, this piece called "Legacies" is a lynching song. Um, <clears> then <throat> swinging lows lynching song in the tree. I mean, there there've there been lynching s- songs throughout my kind of oeuvre or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it, it's about collecting them all and then writing these new ones and collecting it in a very particular kind of way, collecting them. You know with with a new kind of like musical sort of like overture kind of thing and as a, i guess a song cycle lynching's scary um <laughs> 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 i mean so but my interest in it again i mean so the point for me isn't just to be kind of historical it's to be um it's to sort of kind of get at the psychology of 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 america really i mean the 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 so when i when I found out that I didn't find this out in high school, I found out that that uh, castration and cutting off um black male genitalia was a central part of lynching uh-huh. um when i found that out i was like this is so and then you this whole cuckolding thing it's it's all related it's all, you know, it, it's all there's a deep psychology going on with like you know um a kind of um a cannibalism a white cannibalism of black bodies um that's you know consistent in porn consistent in my own sexual you know life um and so it's it's a way to get at very contemporary things. It's not about, like, history or about, um, like, kind of commenting on this horrible, the horrible sort of things of history. It's about the psychology of America, even though lynching with that castration thing isn't technically going on now. It is still going it is. on. Uh, and cannibalistic, pornographic ways in the prison industrial complex with police officers shooting on, on black people. I mean, it, it's like there's – for me, these are ways of understanding um, – the inner working psychologically and emotionally of a culture which i think is what what we as artists do again we don't make policy we don't right 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 you know, um, we're, we can only try to sort of penetrate and that's intentionally phallocentric penetrate um the psychology the psychological and emotional kind of dimensions of what's going on with like people and i guess i'm, I'm definitely very interested in like white psychology like white psychology yeah whatever's going on in i mean i think sort I mean. As much as surveillance was is about intergenerational PTSD surveillance punishment mm-hmm. in the Black Diet piece, it's really a lot about like white imaginings of black people too. And, right. And in the ways in which they're trying to sort of Yeah, how how they're kind of sculpted in the white imagination. Uh, I'm really interested in that.
0: I mean, I remember the first time as a teenager I heard um Strange Fruit, mm-hmm. the Nina Simone piece, which
1: Yeah, well it's originally performed by Billy Holiday, but right. yeah. But you heard Nina Simone first. Right.
0: Yeah. Um but it's one of those things where like
1: it's a really erotic piece of music, yeah.
0: It is, and it also, it was the first time, how can I say this, that that particular part of history, you mm-hmm. know, you learn about it growing up, and if you're white, you're disconnected from it, mm-hmm. uh, even if you grew up, you know, I grew up in like a liberal home, and... Sure. Um,
1: you, it, you, so you spent some time in North Georgia, but you primarily grew up...
0: Uh, upstate New York. Okay. Um, and... That was the first time, like it, it, that that piece of music put into focus that this was like a real thing, and that bodies hung from trees, and that the imagery of bodies hanging mm-hmm. from trees is a really crucial part of it. It's not just killing people. No, there's there's an aesthetic to it.
1: Well, and also I think that that, that without saying, I, I, my work is all very explicit about cutting shit off, but the it, the the song in, implies. Um, the castration, um, uh-huh. the dismemberment. Because, it, I mean, the, the, the big event, the fruit, yeah, the big event was cutting off the cock and the balls, but then the audience would then be invited to cut off a finger, a toe, like, to take For real? them home. Yeah, yeah, Souvenirs. Souvenirs, yeah. Um, it was a deeply cannibalistic <laughs> thing, lynching, um, of these, um, yeah, of these but it got. It, but then
0: later on, this happened, I, I happened to be in Poland on... Um, uh, the anniversary, 60th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was really uncomfortable because there was a lot of uh, Jewish Americans coming in. Whole city was full of Jewish Americans, and there was this weird tension around the city. Mm-hmm. And someone told me, a Polish guy told me that I belonged in a crematorium. Like this, he just walk up to me and say it. It came out in a conversation, and you know, it upset me. Um,
1: That's upsetting. It's yeah. upsetting. Uh, but it, given the context, you know, but it did um, get me
0: thinking about like, like, like when there's a group historical group of people mm-hmm. who have this like really profound hatred um to, towards another group of people mm-hmm. and how they sort of aestheticize killing that person yeah
1: to, ritualize to... it ritualize it instead i mean it's it's a ritual it's like a it's like serial murder i mean like it's like you know, watching dexter I mean, he has these rituals of like right. I mean, it, you know these things i mean like the lynching of black people was you know like serial murder in that ritualized like kind of cannibalistic. Um, seduction it was a very i mean they would make these posters and thousands of people would often maybe in some cases tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. would travel you know from like other cities to come watch the you know lynching of this black man who or black woman but usually accused of raping th- that's right woman, that's it yeah. it's normally like know yeah. like um emmett oh very famously I was about was, to say emmett you know, Mattill. i Mattillian. mean that was the you know mm-hmm. that and then we we know now historically she just lied. Yeah. You know, we actually know now that the, you know, one of the most sort of like horrific, you know, images we have, you know, in our minds in the history of this country on the cover of Jet magazine, his face, you know, Spotted um, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she was lying, right? Crazy, right? Uh, <laughs> right, right. It's right. I mean, so you know, I think that like this, all these people that I know are talking about like Afro Afro pessimism and, um, yeah, um. I get it. I think that there's not like a um, there's not much to be uh, optimistic, certainly about or, or hopeful about. Even I mean, Cornel West is always c- talking about himself as a, a prisoner of hope, you know, within uh-huh. kind of, some kind of trist- Christian tradition, um, liberation theology, even tradition or something. James Cone. I, I
0: I I, I did you, I'm going to go completely off topic for just a second. Yes. Did you watch this fucking Coltrane documentary?
1: I d- stopped. It's so bad. I I well so I. I don't have Netflix anymore because I just was like I'm I was realizing I wasn't watching anything on Netflix mm. and I was paying for it and I was like mm. I wanted to stop paying for it mm. so I I heard about it and I know Cornel West is in it I don't that's why he's on my mind is I I only made it through about
0: nine minutes of this piece of shit and uh or maybe twelve but. He He showed up,
1: and I was like, "Oh man, fuck you why do you why are you in this like it, because I'm assuming you're probably a fan of Corno West, but then you weren't a fan of him in this documentary I, I just i'm I'm disappointed with anyone who chose
0: to take part in this documentary. It was such a piece of garbage
1: anyway. i i I have a friend in London who posted like a like a West like segment, and i mean i i i idolize i mean corno West is you know isn't always right obviously yeah, but yeah. I think he's extraordinary i mean, his work has been a huge um uh, it's meant a lot to me as an artist. I think he he's his way of um, of writing and thinking about through philosophy and you know, sort of the history of, of race in the U.S. that's like just so really poetic and I think useful I for artists in a way that um, a lot of sort of academic kind of public intellectual people aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so he will always mean a lot to me. It's, I think it's unfortunate if, if that's – I haven't seen it, so I can't comment I on it. I don't. It's not worth it. Um
0: uh. Are you a Coltrane fan? Oh my god, of course!
1: Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, John Coltrane is is um. I mean, in terms of the aspirations of 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 black people, in terms of what I call, I don't know if other people talk talk about high modernism or or black existentialism. I mean, I think that like Coltrane, Cecil Taylor, or Nick Coleman sort of are the are the for me the embodiments of that kind of thing of, of the kind of height of a kind of black modernism or black existentialism uh, in, in in the musical form. Mm-hmm. Um, Sun Ra. Too, I think, mm-hmm. uh and I mean, to some extent, George Clinton. If you want to get into something more Good populist, Clinton. Yeah, George yeah, yeah. Clinton, absolutely, yeah, genius, absolute. Um, absolutely, absolute genius. So, I mean, I, I think that, um no, I mean, it's hugely important. But for me, I, I never divorced Coltrane from Cecil Taylor or Nick Coleman. Like for me, I think that they are, they are, and Sun Ra too. But Sun Ra was almost kind of on his own. I mean, yeah, not yeah that they yeah, were yeah. all on their own thing. But Sun Ra was, but it, he was really on, his really own. on his own thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really deep and really important and um. For me, yeah, from really important to me. Well, all of them. I mean, all, all uh-huh. of them Coltrane, um, Ornette Coleman, Cecil Taylor. Cecil Taylor, especially, I feel like he's he isn't given um, his his same due in this as he's a composer. He's still alive. Uh, he's, well, maybe, yeah, I yeah. Guess. So there's that. Same there, um, as Senator Rollins doesn't. Um, get held in the most
0: highest regard that he deserves
1: because there's so i mean but cecil taylor is an absolute genius um as a philosopher as a a thinker about music and about what it means to be human i think that he's like as important as john coltrane uh in my um in my mind um so eccentric so kind of on his own trip so accomplished such a virtuoso um you know, it always blows yeah. my mind that
0: some of those guys are still around. Like, I was in downtown Brooklyn like a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. I was walking down the street and I was like, oh, fuck, that's Cecil Taylor's house.
1: You know, like, he's probably up there, right? Playing piano. I mean, does he? Now I know he has a piano in the house. Does he have a Bosendorfer in the house? Probably. 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 I mean, I know he insists on and he's the he's pretty extravagant guy. Oh, my God. I, they have a Bosendorfer for me because in my rider, like, they're all, whenever I have a show, like, I send a rider and I'm right. like, I want to appear. Bozendorfer. Bozendorfer. Yeah. But uh, we I mean, know I never get it. <laughs> you know, usually. Except for this Vienna show, they are getting me a, a, a Bosendorfer. I'm really super excited about it. I'm playing in Vienna. I don't this will probably air after that, but I'm December 17th. Yeah. I'm yeah, playing yeah. a show in Vienna. I'm super excited about that. So I'm, I'm getting myself ready for those. And well, National Sawdust, actually, I did, I did Funeral Doom Spiritual this past January at National Sawdust, and they have a Bosendorfer. They have a Bosendorfer? Mm-hmm. I still haven't been to that place. National Sawdust is pretty, I mean, on a, on a sonic level, it's a pretty amazing place to, yeah. to hear music. Um. To see it, too. I mean, I think that we were doing heavy projections and, and and some of the people who saw the show because of the grid in the building right. didn't, like, it It kind of overdetermines the look of, of sure, projections sure. Or, or everything. I love it. I love the design of it. I mean, it's a very, for me, futuristic kind of um, space in the show. Funeral Dream Spiritual happens 100 years from now. So, I mean, for me, I think that was the perfect environment for the show. Um, but other people sort of feel, on a visual level, it was, like, not as... Um, Desirable and sonically, that place sounds amazing. They built the building on springs. So, you know, like if you're Joe's pub, you can hear like the six train underneath Joe's pub. You know, um, in in theory, you should be able to hear the L train underneath National Sawdust, but they have elevated it so that. Well, yeah. So the, the whole building's on springs, and so it, it absorbed the sound. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I guess an incredible amount of money was put into <laughs> like, making a <laughs> space on springs acoustically friendly to you know be soundproofed and kind of brilliant. And a Bozendorf, I mean, like, did they pay for that? Did someone give it to them? They, I mean, no, I'm sure they didn't pay for it. I'm sure yeah, it's I mean, Bozendorfers online. are like yeah, um, are expensive though. Anyway, wait. When did you? How did you meet Charlie Looker? Charlie, um, there was I, I don't know if it was 2007, eight or nine. I can't remember what year, but but um. Larkin Grimm. I don't know Uh know Larkin Grimm's work. She was playing a show with Genesis Pure at. Who lives right down the street from here? Oh, Genesis also lives a couple blocks over. Crazy. Um, was playing a show at Santos Party House, and Uh so I was there to see to see Larkin and and obviously Genesis, right? And um, Larkin was in the crowd, and she was like, "Oh, you guys," she kind of like say, "You guys should meet. You guys would really like each other." And then I, you know, and then I saw Charlie, and I was like, "Oh, he's actually really hot." So it's like. (laughs) You know why not? And so then, yeah. and so we kind of talked to whatever. It was like brief, but then like this is. So this was a while ago. So it was MySpace actually. I had like a music MySpace uh-huh. page. So maybe this was oh seven eight nine something like that. It, maybe it was nine or ten I or remember something. that concert series that
0: she put together at Santos
1: um and to Larkin curated that I don't, I don't remember if Larkin, That's my, but that's it was that's like my memory long, of. but it was a long day of, of it was like was a so,
0: mystical magical theme something like that yeah. yes there
1: was something like that it was huge it was a huge like event yeah I think it was when she was still on like um young God on young God yeah, yeah. I think that was anyway um and so then um I got this message on like MySpace from Charlie. Like, he had, like, checked out my music and was like, man, your music's really dope. You know, it's, so like, deep. really deep. So that's Charlie, you know. And he um, was like, we should play a show together. And so when we played, I played with Extra Life. This would have been when Extra Life was still doing a well, thing. you open for Extra Life or you played in the band? I opened for them uh-huh. at, um... At, um... What was that place called? Death by Audio. Oh, yeah. Um. I, oh, yeah. So I, I played with Extra Life at Death by Audio and then I played with Seven Tears again at Death by Audio like a few years later Uh Uh, and with Larkin actually Um, was also in the bill of that show. So um, yeah, I met Charlie through Larkin and then we just like became like fast friends because we were kind of like just fans of each other. Uh Um, and then I just kind of kept running into him and I was like, yeah, I'm working on this film and then I want like a film scribe with this goretti. I'm probably mispronouncing his name but I'm really interested in this like really or, like densely like dissonant orchestrated like these strings that are like really fucked up. Uh-huh. So it was, oh, well I do that stuff if you need somebody, if you've got a budget or something, you know, whatever. And so then um, I got the show in LA where I had a budget to like do this installation and blah, blah, blah. And so then I was like, hey, you want to write these string arrangements? for You know, and so then, well, actually, no, that was after, no, it was a remix. The first thing, the first collaboration we did was he did a remix of my song Badass Nigga mm-hmm. um, that I think I, that I was just in, in love with. Like, I was, with what Charlie did. With what he did, yeah. yeah. yeah I was like, because I've had people do re- remixes for me before, and I'm just like, yeah. I mean, Charlie's just such a... He's just such a virtuoso, yep. like musician, composer, like arranger. Like he's just a genius. I mean, like he's just a complete genius. And so I was just like, I was just blown away. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And so I was like, I have to make a video for this because I, you know, direct on my videos and make them. So then I immediately make the video, and you know, that was like, so that was sort of the first thing. But he was like, oh, that was nothing. I can really do like he's sort of like, oh, I just kind of like sh- shat that out. Right. But I can really like go in hard for this thing. And so he did all the string arrangements for the surveillance record, uh, for that show you saw. Yeah. All those, with all those arrangements, yeah. Yeah, all those arrangements were written. The string arrangements. I write my own piano. Right. Vocal parts, but all the string arrangements were written by Charlie, and you know? um. You know, I just love, I love the stuff we do together. You know, we're doing this podcast now called Fluid Exchange. Which is literally um, the best name for a podcast ever. Well, I mean, it's about conversations, right? Yes. It's about, you know, like <laughs> talking with people, uh-huh. uh, exchanging ideas. um yeah, yeah. You know, fluidly. Fluidly, if you will. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, no, we, we've, um, the podcast is launching in like February and we, we're just talking to, mostly we've been talking to artists and musicians, um, mostly musicians who are n- sort of like not so commercial, I guess. Like we've been trying to... Um, I mean, I guess I've been trying to sort of, like, justify my non-commercial existence on the planet by, like, talking to other <laughs> non-commercial artists and, and sort of, like, what does it mean? I mean, just sort of these questions. So, of like, the what, show, so the show is you and Charlie talking to other musicians. Talking to other musicians, and, but not just musicians. Like, like, we just interviewed Penny Arcade, uh-huh. this performance artist. If you know Penny, Penny Arcade. Is amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's absolutely one of the best interviews we've done. Um, so we're talking to all kinds of different people, mostly because we know... Musicians are the people we hang out with the most. Right. Uh, we've mostly been talking to musicians. Rob Lowe, you know Rob Lowe, who's in um, Rob Lowe. Um, Likens, Rob Lowe. Oh, Aubrey. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and who's uh, also plays with Alm sometimes. Uh, we've interviewed him, Hunter. I, I did uh-huh. a record with Hunter Hunt Hendricks, uh, Fetal Doom Spiritual. Anyway, so we interview Hunter. Yeah, we've. It's been some great interviews so far. I think that really, um, and I'm trying to get it. Um, I mean, my big sort of. Reason for doing this? I mean, there's, there's a non-commercial aspect of it, and like, what it, you know. So, then people who don't have like sort of big sort of presences in the market, but who are making livings uh-huh. like with their work, you know, I'm t- I want to talk to them about the cultural need for the work outside of whatever their individual artistic sort of in- endeavors or investigations are about. Like, what? How does the work exist in the world, mm-hmm. um, and how do they exist in the world? Is what I'm trying to sort of get at. Um, and you know, just the sort of like non-market value thing. I mean, if, if something doesn't have market value, then what? other value does it have culturally and is that a thing that's like even um valued now in our culture just because there's i I think that there's um Like, I mean, my voice teacher is this big opera guy. He he, uh, does the Met broadcast uh, on Saturdays. Iris Siff is his name. If if those of you who listen to the Met broadcast, you'll know Iris. He's hilarious. And and he knows everything about opera and everything about singing. He's the best voice teacher ever. Uh, And he was just telling me that I think 300 people were fired from the Met recently. And they just don't have money. And you just sort of, like, wonder. I mean, even, like, something super mainstream like the Met, you know, like, if, if that sort of institution is, like, sort of struggling financially then what of this this sort of more avant-garde like classical or avant-garde jazz I mean we're on our own we're out in the wilderness um I'm, yeah wait, seriously seriously yeah. I mean I just think about all the all these like kids like i for, more and more lately I'm hanging out with like classical musicians who are like just graduating from conservatory uh-huh. and stuff and they're all sort of grappling with trying to make sort of their classical music endeavors relevant to some sort of pop thing like which just, to me seems unfortunate like it, like to, I mean, but that's that's not a new thing that's been I mean up. I know it's not a new thing but I just it just seems like I mean I no, it just seems like really desperate. Um, everyone's desperate. I mean, I feel like everyone's always been desperate, but I'm trying really hard not to be. Like, I'm, I mean, my it's not my, a good look. My position is to not be desperate. It's yeah. to sort of like proudly walk in and the truth of of the choices I've made as an artist, and to be you know sort of like outside of like what markets are, but uh-huh. to but to find a way for the work to exist and to mean something to be important, like outside of you know it it, it like making someone a lot of money. You know that that it can devastate people. It can People can think that it's important for some reason. I mean, I... Do you, one of the things I love about me uh, and my career is that I got You saw me at Merkin Hall, and so I'm doing shows with like string quartets or whatever Merkin Hall or National Sawdust or Cathedral of Saint John the Divine and these very kind of. Or I did Metropolitan Museum of Art. I did a show this summer wow. there, but I'm also in basements pretty routinely. Yeah, like at least a few times a month in Bushwick, um, or in various or in Bed Stuy or various parts so of you Brooklyn. Still, you still make that hang? Oh my god, totally! I love playing DIY shows in basements with like you know noise. Artists and Wh- noise bands and shit. Where playing right now in those places?
0: Um, what are the spots? Forty
1: Nine Shades is. Um, actually, haven't played there yet, but I see a lot of shows there. And I sp- we were supposed to play a show there. I was supposed to play a show there that got canceled, but we're rescheduling. Forty Nine uh-huh. Shades is, is a venue. I I, I played Southern Barn really recently. Um, I like that. Um, I feel like a lot of spaces like appear. Heck. If you know Heck, I did a reading at Heck, H E C K. I want to do another show there. It's like a, it's down the street from my house, really super close. A place that closed recently that was on like Stockholm and Myrtle Avenue. What was that? Uh, I can't remember. what They, it was called. they closed
0: pretty quickly. They
1: clo- exactly. There are all these basement places that like open and close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I pre, I, I, I mean, and I do. Yeah, I even sometimes do tours. Like I played in like a basement in Philly recently, or like it's sort of a punky DIY venue. I mean, so I love that those people even still just want me to play those shows mm-hmm. you know given i don't know i don't know if people think that i will or something mm-hmm. sometimes but i'm really always down to play those kinds of shows uh, with bands that are like doing noise shit i mean the the most interesting shows of, the, of that kind i've found are the noise shows um yeah like they're, they're the still. least they're the least predictable like i, I think that there's then uh, something now honestly that a lot of them are getting predictable sure. to me i mean there, there's a sort of a way that people work uh, you know with I don't, you know, you know, this thing gets, we get kind of codified and get yeah, like, yeah. um, the 12 minute you know. set and the, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and hey, progressively gets louder, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, but, um, I, I was at South by Southwest doing, um, in 2015, and I went to a, a non South by Southwest noise show. It was it just happened to be in Austin at the same mm-hmm. time in someone's house or something. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Just the energy, like, the kind of, like, yeah, really, yeah. that, that, um, reckless kind of like this dude was jumping off amps and it just was, it was the shit. It was it like was something alive. was going on. It was alive. Yeah. Like, you know, like punk, unfortunately, you know, like it's just kind of like, it's formulaic. You know, there's, and there's even something formulaic about a lot of shows I go to see at Vitus, you know, it's often the metal shows are just kind of, you know, formulaic. I want to hear something right else, you know, like I want to hear something that's like outside of yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really predictable. Um, So, I mean, yeah. And so me playing like random shows with like noise acts or metal bands or whatever, it's like, you know. I, it's a good energy.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I. I mean, yeah. I've always liked to uh, to playing on those types of bills. Yeah. If for no other reason that like I like being the the, the
1: odd man out. <laughs> well, but I mean, for me though, the the point is like I don't really change. I mean, what I do is what I do. Like I don't change it like, right. based on. The- and so I like that I can go there and and have and the work can have some kind of impact in that environment as well as like something that's more like. Produced with like projections and mm-hmm. really good sound or something. These places usually don't have really good sound, but like <laughs> I love or, that. Like I can with my keyboard because it's usually not a piano there, so I can take my weighted keyboard there and put it through my pedals and like you know make a powerful performance. Yeah, uh, like for me, I want the work just to be powerful and like that I can go into any kind of context and like do something and have it have impact. um That's the point. for I me. think so. Um, I mean, I guess maybe for anybody, but really I'm testing that out all the time just to see if it's like – you know, if I'm like full of shit, or if I can, you know, if I. If I mean, it's It's you know,
0: a great thing about a city like New York is there's so yeah. many performance opportunities all yes. over the place. Yes. that You
1: can test yourself that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. You no, can totally. go play in a bar. And a random. I love playing for unsuspecting people. I still go to open mics too. I actually go to open mics just ran. I mean, it, like there used to when I first moved here in 2006, I went to them like weekly. You did that? Um, absolutely. I did that scene. It was it was excruciating. Which open mic? Um, sidewalk. Um, sidewalk cafe was one. I well, at, at first, I mean, that was the one I kind of like found a home in, sort of when latch. Still there or whatever, but I, I went to a bunch. Of, um, what is it, Cafe Vivaldi, which uh-huh. is terrible. I mean, they have I they have a lovely piano. They have a lovely sure. like, like a Yamaha piano, but, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, a it's terrible. terrible. It's yeah. a terrible. I mean, but even sidewalk. I mean, I, you know, like how many people can you hear? I mean, you know, who were like sort of want to be Bob Dylan or something with the like guitar and the mm-hmm. harmonica and the you know. There's like a you know sitting through that but like it was really great because I was just on stage like I mean you know when I first moved here I wasn't like people weren't like booking me all over the place so no, no, I was like on stage somewhere so I, between that Goodbye Blue Monday I was actually <laughs> I was a bartender at Goodbye Bill Monday for five years actually and they had an open mic on Tuesdays yes they did um, that I went to and then Joe Crow the guy who ran that open mic is still doing he, once Goodbye Blue Monday closed he was doing that open mic at Living Gallery across the street right. I was doing that pretty regularly he, I, now he's doing it at Little Skips in Bushwick and I, I've only done that once but like I, I love of, i mean which and also what's great about me not doing them anymore is when i sort of show up and do one but people have no idea who they've never seen me before and uh-huh. I, you know it's just sort of fun you yeah, know I mean, you make like, a, you make a i would like to think that i would like to think that i make an impression that in that it's like powerful and uh-huh. un, and, un, and unexpected like i think that maybe i mean people often when they see me they're like are you a dj or <laughs> like i mean they don't they have no i mean like visually i don't know what I don't. They can't place me, which is sort of also part of the point. Yeah. Like they would never imagine that I do. I mean, when did this, you know, when did you arrive at this? You mean the music that I make or, or, or my, the, my aesthetic or the, the, the look, the, the way look, I look? The presentation. I mean, it's been slowly evolving since I was a kid. I mean, yeah. I've, I've always been like a goth-oriented scene right. kind of kid. Like, I mean, I've been very oriented towards that. You know, i grew up in like, i think everyone in from the south is goth i mean like like on a uh-huh. basic level in, in in the u.s i think the south is just gothic you know uh like i would like say i was gonna spend the night at scott's house and go to new orleans you know when really as a teenager yeah so i mean i spent a lot of time there um certainly it, it's just it's been slowly evolving i mean like i am i used to I obsess i mean certainly goth bands when i was in high school but like i was it, but like opera like i mean i whenever um like when, my first year at the art institute like i was you know always playing opera in in listening to opera whatever and singing opera or whatever and all these goth people were like oh they, they, it just was it was always like a natural fit like mm-hmm. goth people in opera uh, and so I we it's dramatic in goth clubs. It's, it, um, it... yeah well it, there's also a melodrama and a, a power Like I'm, I mean one of the things is really um, whether you like opera or not or whatever if it, there's like a voice in a random place that's like that loud, you know, like it's yeah. just a loud, powerful, you know, you. impact thing. Um, and if you are on mic with giving that kind of sound, it's gonna, you know, uh, be impactful. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I like to have impact. Um, and so, but as far as like my, yeah, my aesthetic, I mean, it, it's sort of grown out of like, you know, being like obsessed with like goth and metal music, uh-huh. you know, um, and that sort of subculture. Um, do
0: you do you write too? Like words on paper. I mean, not not lyrics, but do you do you? I oh, mean- like
1: critical essays and kind of, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, I know. So you, I mean, you do a lot of shit. And well, I have in the book that I have coming out. I I guess it's a collection of the librettos I've written and, uh-huh. and um and song lyrics and stuff. And then there are interviews. I I guess I didn't literally write an essay in the book, but there are like several interviews with me. And mostly, I guess, the writing in the book, besides the librettos that I've written and the song texts, are essays that people have written about my work. Um, I mean, do I write? I mean, I'm writing. I'm actually actually there's the um. The queer cinema, like, I guess, handbook that Oxford, um, oh, you the know, the Oxford handbook. thing is putting out. Yeah. Uh, this guy who actually wrote an essay in my book wrote, asked me to write a piece about my work. So I'm actually working on a piece about the sort of the video, the cinematic aspects of my work uh-huh. um, for that. For the for queer cinema thing. handbook. For the queer cinema handbook, Who's publishing yeah. uh, Oxford, you know, like the yeah, Oxford yeah. Press or whatever. Um, They're putting that out. I guess, it, I guess I, my deadline's, I guess, like, the spraying or something. Are you are you a I'm movie guy? Now. I am. Yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed with the stuff. I'm obsessed with. But besides the horror films, is, is like you know, um, it's like sort of art, like like um, Pasolini. You know, uh-huh. is probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, Have you seen the movie Straw Dogs? I
0: haven't seen the Straw Sam Peckinpah Dogs. film. I haven't seen Straw Dogs. Man. Yet. I mean just whatever. Like I I I've been obsessed by film like my whole life and yeah, recently too. Too. I'm like re-obsessed like to a point where I'm watching certain movies, you know, three or four times in a week, mm-hmm. watching them over and over again. And I finally just saw this movie. I I knew Straw
1: Dogs it's called.
0: Yeah, I knew it'd been yeah. waiting for me.
1: I've but, heard about. It. I feel like someone else told me I should see Straw Dogs. It
0: will fuck you uh, up, man. Yeah. It will um, fuck you up. Sam Peckinpah film. It's one of Dustin Hoffman's first roles. Um I don't know. I don't know why I brought that up. No. Uh, well,
1: we were talking about, I mean, there's the whole cinema thing. I mean, so, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm obsessed, with, but mostly I'm obsessed with art film. I mean, the, this, the film, the feature filmmaking is like an art film kind of thing with like long shots and, yeah yeah uh, yeah it's black and white high contrast it's sort of like in a horror thriller kind of but old school kind of silent filmy look to so, well you've seen my videos uh-huh. it's sort of like a, an extension of that yeah, yeah, yeah Um. Ho- hopefully more developed Um. not right. that my videos aren't developed but no yeah. I think they're great I, I, are
0: you touring much or it's mostly these one off things
1: Um. I mean I haven't done a tour where I'm playing like every night well I, I actually earlier this fall I did like a I did a Montreal Hudson and Joe's Pub thing, uh-huh. uh, so we started in Montreal. Anyway, um, thing, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's mostly like I'll travel and play like one show. Like I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing a talk at Princeton Monday, uh, and then I'm doing these things at Abr- Abrams Art Center like um, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Oh, that's this week. Um, yeah, this yeah. week. Yeah, um, and so I'm, it's mostly like a one off like thing as opposed to like you know playing like multiple shows. I mean, like it, ideally, I'd actually like not to sing um two nights in a row just because of the nature of the kind of singing i do i usually like to have a, a break yeah, um, yeah, yeah like i was doing at one point i was doing touring where like i had a show in potsdam one night and then i had to play in copenhagen the next day and i did, I just didn't sleep like i went from my show, the potsdam show was really late you know Potsdam, right? Mm-hmm. in berlin uh it was really late and then I, I went from that show to the airport and got on a plane and then i have then i got off the plane and then went to my soundtrack basically um in Copenhagen, and it just my it's the, just not not the best thing for my voice. No, no, and for no, the, no, for the for the performance. And so I usually like to have a day, even even if it, it's a travel day yeah. uh, between shows. Um, sometimes it's not doable when you have like when you're booking a tour, you know, like a you know. Uh, but typically, I I usually have like a f- a day or two days off when I'm doing like a like my last year in 2016. I had like a fairly extensive European thing, but I I, I booked it so that I had a, at least a day off, yeah, to yeah. or something. That's smart, um, so I could sleep. Yeah, um, Yeah, yeah. It's seemingly I found the most important thing for singing the way that I sing is sleep um, is sleep yes yeah, yeah. I surprising. mean well, well not I mean no caffeine no you know right. those kinds of things nothing that we can create acid reflux acid you don't reflux is caffeine also at all not when I'm singing not when I'm singing like you know working I mean I I, I have a coffee addiction like everyone right Maybe not everyone but um but I do, but, I do. Like, yeah. but when I'm singing I don't uh, just cause any kind of acid anything that can cause acid reflux um, it's just the enemy um, yeah. to, to the voice uh, it can just shut down everything
0: yeah um, no, you have to be super aware of that
1: yeah, yeah. acid reflux and, just, and when you eat like um, relative to the performance like you know having a good two hour thing um, between eating and when you're gonna perform yeah yeah I mean I
0: typically mean, it's common to eat really shitty food on tour
1: that is also a problem like i try to i'm generally a pretty healthy person so i um although my last time i was in london yeah i had lots of days off in london and that's the other thing i mean i perform better when i'm eating well like like it's meaning like not having a lot of sugar or carbohydrates but like a lot of fiber and protein Mm -hmm. um fruits vegetables you know that sort of thing um like i mean it's just like a it's an athletic thing yeah yeah yeah. you know so it's like a you want to be working at the highest um at your highest, like, right. you know, sort of uh, capacity. Um, like, you know, like if you're training for like a marathon or something. Sure, sure, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, I the, sh- the shows I play are usually, I mean, the show you, I, this show I played was like maybe 40 minutes or something that you saw, but normally when I'm doing like a solo show, it's like I'm on stage singing for about 75 minutes. That, um, that's so a, it's like, yeah. you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to be in really good shape Uh, i still train like my teacher i see him is often when i was bartending actually uh, i saw him every week because i had a steady income but now uh, (laughs) now now i see you know i see when i get paid you know when i get paid from like vienna i'll go see him sure um sort of thing but um all right yeah it's like a you know Dicing. Anyway, so that's that's me. Look for Flute Exchange um, <laughs> on iTunes uh, coming, I think, in February. That? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear it, man. Flute Exchange, and then I have an organ record coming out, and then the actually the National Soda show that I played last year is coming out on vinyl. Um, Who's putting that out? Um, it looks like I am putting it out myself. Okay. There was there was a Brazilian label. Um, they might still put it out, actually, the Brazilian label. It's it's National National. I mean, we have to pay National Soda a bunch of money because they recorded it mm-hmm. and stuff. too. so it's like. Um, Label wasn't so interested in that, so it looks like I'm putting it out. But um, but yeah, look for that soon. I'm excited. It'll be at my website m.lamar.com, and you know everything that you kind of want to know. Yeah, you know it's m.lamar.com, and then I have records available on like Spotify and iTunes and Amazon and yeah. these things. Uh, if you. Well, and my website actually Everything's available on right. also at mlamar.com Thank you for if talking people, Lamar If people care Yeah people, thanks I think, for having I think me people do care This was, this, care. was um, <laughs> this was fun I mean you never This is the great thing about. I love like podcasts Because it's like doing radio Where you don't have like you, With TV you have to do sound bites You know Yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah You yeah. can really kind of get into shit You know you can really like talk Yeah it's great uh, And get deep um, Which <laughs> right. I like <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear you guys man. yeah, yeah, yeah It's, it's going to be The podcast Yeah 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 No totally
0: M Lamar I wasn't joking. Uh, he's an intense cat, and he's funny, and I really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I, I feel like I got something out of that. I hope you did, too. If you enjoyed that, or if you're curious about, you know, the other stuff that Lamar's up to, uh, go to MLamar.com. There's a lot to check out. Uh, I, I, I Just check it out. MLamar.com. Go to the 5049 website, uh, or more specifically, go to the Patreon If you like the show and you want to help out, go to patreon.com slash 5049podcast. That's the best way to do it. You can throw in a few bucks, become a monthly donor, and uh, we can have a listener-supported show. Do that. And I hope you guys are all good. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we'll talk to you on January 8th. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. (Sings)
1: Loom <Sings>